Thank you for tuning in to the WAM Podcast, where women empower women in business and manufacturing. Well, welcome to the Riveting Exchanges Podcast. My name is Andrea Olson, and I'm here with Desiree Grace. And just so everyone knows, we are part of the Women in Manufacturing Podcast Series. And today, in this episode of Riveting Exchanges, we're going to talk about intrapreneurship. Just slightly different from entrepreneurship, the same concept, but being an entrepreneur within a company. So how can you be innovative, make change, make waves, and invent and implement new ideas within your organization? So how are you doing today, Desiree? I'm doing well, Andrea, and I am really excited to have this conversation because I think this is a way of approaching problem resolution and new market development that a lot of people had not really considered. So I'm excited about our conversation today, and I hope our listeners get some actionable takeaways. Of course, that's always our goal, right? Oh, definitely. Definitely. So have you been in an organization where entrepreneurship was was fostered and supported? You know, I have. I've been in both. And I do think it's really important to identify what your organizational culture is. You know, we've had previous podcasts about that, but it bears repeating. You need to understand what the risk tolerance and the tolerance for innovation is and what the expectations are. You know, there are organizations where they just want you to jump in the pond and tread water and start swimming. And if that's not their desire, they're okay with you asking for forgiveness after the fact. Other mm-hmm. organizations, they want a business plan. They want some metrics. Um, they want maybe an ROI. And, you know, we're going to talk today about how to navigate some of those issues. How about you? What's been your experience with culture? Because I think that's a big one. You know, I my career started off at a tech startup. So it was the nature of the organization to have to have everyone be an entrepreneur. You did not really have the latitude to kind of ride out your job or your role or just contribute the bare minimum. But then moving to a larger, you know, multinational corporation, it was on one hand encouraged, but on the other hand, somewhat viewed as a little bit of a threat, you know, bringing in a new idea that might impact other departments or areas. You know, people get a little concerned about how it impacts their job. Is it going to obsolete their job? Is it something that's, you know, only being done for posturing purposes? Or is there really an intent to make positive change? So to your point, it's different in every company and every culture and how you approach it needs to be tailored to that organization. Oh, I absolutely agree. And, you know, the other piece of that is don't go it alone. See if you can build a coalition and maybe even find a champion. Oh, definitely. I mean, if you think that you're going to take an idea birth to death by yourself, especially even in a medium-sized organization, I I think you're setting yourself up for a high-risk situation. Because to get any idea off the ground, unless it's only within your own sphere of work, it's going to touch other people. It's going to touch other departments. And you're asking them to change a process. You're asking them to change an outlook. You're asking them to maybe change the way they do things. And the first step in that process is getting their buy-in. You have to tell them 
why it's important, how it's going to impact them in a positive way. Definitely. And I think the other piece of it is if you think you've got an idea to solve a problem or go after a new market, I think you need to understand why is the process broken or why has the new market not been pursued? And then on top of it, you need to understand maybe what was tried before and why didn't it work? Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it, as a new person in an organization, oftentimes you see all these problems that you go, oh, we can fix all of these things. You know, people have been trudging through this for years and they shouldn't have to. But on the other hand, there's a reason why something hadn't changed. It could have been cultural. It could have been monetary. It could have been just simply resistance from the staff. So it's not as simple as identifying a problem, but it's really about understanding the cause behind why it hasn't changed, why it hasn't been addressed. And as a smart entrepreneur, that's your first step. Absolutely. And then the other thing I think an entrepreneur also needs to think about is if I make this change or if I implement this change, what impact is that going to have on the other departments, the customers, etc. because there's the implementation phase, which could potentially create a lot of extra work, possibly overtime. Mm -hmm. But then once it's executed, hey, maybe somebody's afraid they're going to lose their job. Right. Or, you know, maybe somebody's afraid they're going to lose a customer. And you also need to understand and appreciate that potential impact you know, it's kind of like the, the law of intended consequences and the law of unintended consequences as well. You really need to think through, all right, if we do this, you know, I'll give you an example for my career. I wanted to create three segments of terms and conditions for our customers. And that impacted accounting, finance, sales. It impacted our rep agents. It impacted the customers themselves. Mm -hmm. So customer service, of course, was going to be the front line to receive calls and questions and concerns. So we really had to build a team, talk through how are we going to execute? We need to give people advance notice. Everybody internally needs to understand before we communicate it externally. What's our script going to be when we get pushback? Because we were expecting some pushback and we, we got a little, it wasn't too bad, frankly, but we were prepared. And yeah. everybody understood why we were doing it. And they also knew what the goal of that change was. And, you know, we tracked it. We, we tracked those metrics and we actually accomplished a little bit better as far as AR receivables reduction than what we thought we would. But building that coalition on the front end, really figuring out every single department and role and person that's going to be impacted and what their concerns might be, concerns that you may not have thought of. You know, I'm a sales and marketing person. So there could have potentially been something that I may not have thought through that could impact the finance department. Right. So when you build that coalition and when you do your research and when you talk and listen to the stakeholders, you've got a much better chance of success. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And to your point, getting their involvement and listening to their concerns early and figuring out solutions to address those concerns is important. I mean, you can't get hyper-focused 
on just trying to solve the problem from your lens, right? You might see it as a huge pain point for yourself or your department, but you can't ignore the after effects or the downstream effects to your point that impact other people because you can build resentment in an organization very quickly if you try to steamroll things through. You know, oftentimes it's the, you know, you get more flies with honey, right? Then to get people's buy-in, to have that internal selling happen throughout the process, you're going to get and build other advocates for the idea. And then it becomes a movement rather than just a single initiative driven by a single department. Absolutely. And, you know, I think that's the other thing you do need to look at is your initiative, whether it's solving a problem, going after a new customer or something else, maybe process improvement. Does that initiative align with the corporate objectives? Oh, Let's yeah. say you're even in a nonprofit, does it align with the strategic plan? And if it doesn't align with the strategic plan, does it align with maybe organizational goals or objectives in a particular department or business unit? And another thing to think about too is you are still dealing with people. Mm -hmm. I worked for an organization where the CEO was extremely passionate about the environment. So it's critical to know that, um, we'll just call him John, but John really cared about the environment. He cared about green building. And mm -hmm. that was a personal passion for him that to some degree bled into his professional life and some of the things he wanted the company to stand for and to represent in how they did business. So ah, yeah. you... Hey, you might have something that would align with that personal passion of a leader. So that's right. That's, I mean, it's important. It's important to think about what your idea is and how it really impacts the organization. And it can't just be a pet project or a personal annoyance. Even if you can build a fantastic ROI case for it, there's going to be times where the organization says, hey, listen, we're just not interested. And you can get frustrated because you say, I could save the organization this much money or we could grow X percent. But you really have to strategically think about how is that idea aligned with where the direction the organization's going and what they want to accomplish in the short term and the long term. Absolutely. And I can't emphasize enough that it does make sense to choose your battles wisely. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to your point, if you can build a data-driven business case in some form or fashion, e even if it's, you know, maybe from an activity-based costing perspective, this is going to save X number of hours, or we expect it's going to reduce rework by approximately 20%, you really do need to try very hard to put some measurables around it. And that's sending a message that you've done your homework, and it's also sending a message that you're going to monitor for results. You know, mm -hmm. that that's part of being a responsible colleague. Right. Oh, completely. And it shows that you're a leader because you're thinking about the organization's health and well-being at a higher level than just your own department. You know, the, the financials in making a business case, and, and I want to ask you about this a little bit, you know, sometimes people have an idea, but they don't know how to structure that financial case 
to make it compelling for the organization. I mean, we've all been in the situation where we said, hey, we need to do this initiative. This is how much return we project. And, you know, we've had people flat out say, I don't believe that, right? You can have numbers on paper and you can show exactly the trajectory of the dollars, but they don't believe it. So I think a key is how do you make a great business case for your entrepreneurship idea? Well, you know, a lot of it goes to building that coalition, understanding how you got here and why hasn't Mm -hmm. it been addressed, listening and taking the input of the coalition. And that's where I think you might be better off actually building a team or a task force to help tackle it. Um, The key here is you don't want to get into paralysis analysis, though, either. And you and I have both worked in organizations where somebody will just, they won't tell you no. They'll just kick the can down the road or not do anything. And hey, if that's the response you're getting, either find someone else on the team, maybe have a sidebar with that individual to understand what the rest of the story is, or frankly, move forward without them, depending. And you do need to look at where you're at in the organization, what kind of internal credibility you may have. I do think it's important to sometimes look at, you know, how many debits have you put in the bank account of your internal reputation if you're going to potentially make a couple withdrawals or credits. So there's that piece of it also. But, you know, let's talk about why you might want to go to all this extra work and why you might want to push forward with something that you're passionate about. You know, well, I found it to be incredibly enlightening and educating, first of all, because even if you have an idea and it doesn't come to fruition, oftentimes through the process, you learn a lot about how other departments function and what challenges they face. But in addition, I think it's also something that really becomes an opportunity for personal growth, right? Whether that's just simply uh, the ability to engage others, sell an idea, move things forward, all the way to becoming a better organizational leader and giving you the opportunity to pitch things when maybe in the past you didn't get that opportunity or you were just waiting for it to be offered to you or handed to you. Uh, So it's really something that isn't just about getting something done or getting an idea from beginning to end, but that, that learning process, that experience in and of itself is a great personal opportunity. Absolutely. And, you know, you can build your personal brand internally, potentially also externally, but it is critical to understand that when you're taking the initiative like that, you can absolutely come out looking like a rock star, but you could, you know, potentially have a not so positive result. And that's why I really encourage status updates as you go. So if we go back to my previous example of the changes in terms and conditions, yeah, we, we basically gave everybody 90 days notice that this was going to happen. And the first 90 days after we executed, I had monthly status meetings and check-ins with the finance department and the customer service department to see what was actually happening out there. Mm-hmm. And I asked our, our regional VPs to let me know what they were hearing in the marketplace, basically. 
once things settled down, then it simply became a question of monitoring the monthly reports. But we knew within six months that it was successful. But here's mm. the other thing. If you are checking in, let's say monthly or weekly, de depending on what the initiative is, if something is going south, you have an opportunity to course correct quickly. Right. And you need that feedback loop to make sure that if you need to tweak or stop, you can do it before it gets out of hand. You know, and, and maybe this is a good point to talk about. There's something to be said for a beta. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You don't have to eat the elephant in one bite, right? You know, it's something where can you do a trial? Okay, as to your point, can you do a beta? Can you do something within just a department as a micro test, right, to iron out a lot of those challenges with, most importantly, implementation and communication? And to your point and in your example, communication is often the thing that gets kicked down the road. People spend the time planning, budgeting on the implementation and execution. And then once it's done, because they've spent so much time, effort, and attention to getting it launched, they forget the fact that nobody else in the organization oftentimes knows what's going to happen and why. And so communication is equal to, if not more important, than the implementation plan. And I think as a successful entrepreneur, that's going to be a big key to making either a beta or a full entrepreneurship idea successful. Absolutely. You have got, if you want to be an entrepreneur, you have to be a good to excellent internal communicator. And even if that's not your strong suit, you need to challenge yourself almost to over communicate with the stakeholders to make sure there's no misunderstanding or misexecution. Right. More communication is going to be better. Now, granted, that doesn't mean lengthy communications or complicated communications, but Definitely frequency, right? You know, be respectful of others. What do they need to know? How does it impact them? What actions do they need to take? And remember, other people are busy, right? You know, the fact that if you want to push an idea through, keep in mind that these people have other jobs, full-time jobs that are taking their time. So to ask them not only to participate, but also to get that communication, digest that information, it takes repetition right? One and done is not going to cut it. It's about keeping that in front of people and helping them understand that something's coming. It's changing. This is where they can go for questions. This is how it impacts them. This is how they can get involved. It's that open book policy that I think is really going to make entrepreneurs successful. Absolutely. And, you know, I think there's, there's two ways it can go. Well, let me back up. Whether it yeah. is successful or not, I think at the end, you absolutely, whether it's a, a micro beta or a beta, you know, one department, one region, one customer, you need to debrief and yeah. evaluate the lessons learned, whether, whether the initiative for the entrepreneur was a hundred percent successful, 50% successful, or even a dismal failure, but we're, we're going to hope that's not the case. If you've done all your homework and legwork, it shouldn't be the case. But what did you learn? What can you do to make it better if you roll this thing out, you know, company-wide, what have you? And it's really critical to share your findings with the team, with the stakeholders. Hey, we learned that um, doing a tweet was better than doing an email. Or we learned that the regional vice president needed to pick up the phone and call 
you know, his or her top three customers or this software package. Yeah, it was cheap on the front end, but we found out these all these additional perks had added cost. Next time we need to make sure if these enhancements are included or if there are add-ons that are extra expenses. You always need to do a debrief to make sure you've learned so that you can be better next time. Right. And to, to your point, that debrief needs to be honest. And I think sometimes, especially depending on who's in the room, to have an honest conversation about what's, what's working, what's not, and being clear about that uh, is going to help the long-term success of, of any initiative. And I think that honesty sometimes is is difficult to articulate. So that that team that you've got has to be able to have that candor. But in addition, you have to understand the why. Like in your example with, you know, that Twitter worked over something else, why did Twitter work? Because if you don't dig into the why, you don't know how to replicate it. And sometimes there are perceptions of, this worked because there was no negative response or everything was cricket. So it must have worked. That doesn't mean it did work. So I think it's really important that your team or your task force is willing to challenge the assumptions of the group because that skill in and of itself is going to be better for the next entrepreneurship endeavor you have as well as your ability to assess problems within your own department or area of the organization. And, you know, that goes to a certain amount of corporate courage, but mm -hmm. I would make the argument leaders are transparent and they do admit if something didn't go quite as expected, you know, either to the good or the bad. You know, sometimes you get better right. results than you expected. You know, that's that is a reality also. But that that honesty and that ownership, that's going to build your personal integrity that, okay, I can trust Andrea again if she brings me an initiative. She's not right. going to blame the accounting department if something goes south. She's going to take responsibility that this was a collaborative effort and she was the team lead. I would work mm -hmm. with her again on a project because I trust her. Oh, right. Right. It's huge for personal brand building and it's huge for personal leadership capacity. You know, it, it really helps refine that skill within your deck. And I would just say it's something that if, if you could even practice it every day, you know, not even in entrepreneurship initiative, but just on a micro scale, that, that in itself is going to help you go forward. Yeah, because part of the idea behind entrepreneurship is you don't have to have a fancy title to have an right. idea and be able to execute that idea intelligently. People that... So what an idea, but you you don't feel like you're the one that has the ability to build that coalition and sell that idea internally. You know, think about those folks that, you know, I do have an idea, but maybe I don't have the wherewithal, or maybe I just don't have that fortitude to push this forward. Uh, you know, would you suggest, you know, finding an advocate? How, how can you get your idea moving ahead? Well, I think the first piece of it is if you don't feel that you have the title or the support, you should absolutely talk to your immediate supervisor and ask them for some coaching. Now, they may not want to take the ball and run with it, and they may not want to give you, you know, minutia for direction, but you can certainly say, hey, this is a need I see 
and I'd like to move forward with fixing it. And do Mm -hmm. I have your support or would you be willing for me to work on this two hours a week? Or can you suggest who I could talk to? Would you be willing to introduce me to the leaders of these other departments? I would certainly suggest having that conversation. But the other thing that we have on deck for our next podcast is a whole conversation wrapped around internal selling. Because mm-hmm. that that's really a, a topic on its own. But definitely, you want to let your immediate supervisor know you're working on this and certainly get their support and their buy-in. They don't need to help you with it, but you need to make sure they're aware and they're on board. The one mm-hmm. thing you absolutely don't want to do is push forward with something like this without at least a quick FYI to your immediate supervisor. Oh, totally agreed. Totally agreed. You know, and sometimes leveraging that supervisor, you know, in an advisory capacity versus making a request. Like I can tell you, I've had a lot of different employees come to me and say, hey, this needs to be fixed. And you go, okay, great. And they they don't present an idea on how to fix it. It's more of a fundamental demand, right? You know, this is terrible. It's clunky. It's awkward. Oh, by the way, I don't really have an idea on how to fix it. And maybe it's oftentimes because they don't have the technical knowledge, maybe the the capacity. They just see a problem and they really don't have a solution to couple with it. So if you are an entrepreneur, an entrepreneur like that and say, I see a problem, but I just don't even know how to go about it. Go to your direct supervisor for advice. You know, you can come with that same problem and say, I'm not sure how to fix it, but is there a good place I could start? Is there a place where I could start doing some research or talk to someone? And maybe that in and of itself is starting that whole exercise of taking a problem that's been identified and going through the process of developing a solution even before you get to implementation. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, your supervisor may have some institutional knowledge or he or she may be able to direct you to someone who does, but no supervisor wants an employee to come to them and say, this is a problem and expect you to fix it. Exactly. That's, you know, if you want to be a worker, be your entire career. Okay. But if you're looking to grow personally and professionally, you do need to start thinking like, being a solution provider rather than a problem identifier. Mm -hmm. Oh, definitely. Definitely. It's, you know, we all see problems, but the magic comes when you can find a solution and maybe it's not even a full-fledged solution. It might be just an idea of a solution. You know, if we did this slightly different, or if we explored this type of uh, technology platform and that's your beta. Right. Even if you don't have a perfect solution out of the gate and say, I've just got to run and start getting buy in and and budget for this. Start with that, you know, trial and error. You know, is there something where you can use a free software sample? Is there something that you can change one step in a process and see what happens for a week, a month, etc.? There's all different ways to skin the cat, if you will. Yeah. And I would make the argument that researching it is the first step as well. Just gathering data on the situation, how many customers are impacted, how many employees are impacted. We had an interview around the holidays with Ingersoll Rand's chief diversity officer, 
and they really started looking at how many diverse candidates were they recruiting because that was a strategic initiative for their organization. The first thing you want to do is say, hey, what's our baseline? So you could certainly start by gathering data. So in that example, how many diverse candidates do we have today? Where are they coming from? You know, are they coming through the web? Are they coming through headhunters? Are they coming through employee referrals? Let's research the situation and let's develop a baseline of where are we at today? Mm -hmm. That is a legitimate start. Oh, I totally agree. Because if sometimes when we see problems, we believe that everyone else sees those same problems or they don't see the problem. And our goal is to just say, look at this. Can't you agree with me that this is a problem? And everyone comes from a different background and perspective. They actually might struggle with understanding the gravity of the problem. You know, maybe it's impacting productivity a lot more than what they see on a day-to-day -day basis. So doing that baseline setting is important to show where you are and also it functions as a measure of how you're going to change that number or outcome with your actual solution to the problem. Right. And you might learn something in the process. Uh, you know, let's, let's make up an insidious example where an organization deliberately doesn't want to deal with return material requests. Let's okay. just say, yeah. let, let's just say that, that that's our example and it's never really happened to either of us at any place we've ever worked. But let's say that the warranty group and the customer service group, they always process those things last. Orders come first, naturally. Quote rotation yeah. requests come first, naturally. And an RMA request or a warranty request could sit there for three, four months. Well, you might come yeah. in and not realize that, well, that's by design. If our quarter isn't looking so hot, we're going to shove off to the next quarter before we even address that. Because, exactly. you know, the division, we'll call it the evil division, says, look, if my <laughs> numbers aren't good, I'm not going to process that old inventory return request because I don't want to make my numbers look even worse. So don't oh, touch yeah. that bad boy until the beginning of Q2 and we'll look at it again. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not saying that's right, but what if you dug into it and you found that out because you're a new customer service supervisor and you've got people complaining, hey, my RMA is six months old, what's going on? And you might mm -hmm. think, oh my gosh, this is a problem. It's broken. We got to fix it. And then you find out, oh no, that's deliberate. Don't fix it. Yeah. Um, We'll just put aside the morals and the ethics of that, but... You need to know that going in, because if in the process of doing your research and developing your baseline, you discover that that is intentional, then you need to step back and say, okay, is this the battle I want to pick? Right. Or if I do want to pick it, then I really need to get some metrics about how this is hurting sales, hurting customer relationships, driving people to work with competitors, et cetera, et cetera. So, right. I mean, right. you wouldn't think that would be the case, but maybe in the evil division, it's part of the plan. You need to know that. So research, that can be part of undertaking a project, even if you're not going to champion a fix, just understanding why we are where we are at today and the rest of the story, that's critical. And sometimes it's it's also an unfamiliarity. You know, I would say that, there was a case where I had 
I saw that there was this very inefficient process for updating documentation. Mm-hmm. And it was a very manual process. And it was, oh, this is clearly eating up. It was actually eating up uh, almost three full-time employees hours every year of just d- updating documentation. And it was something where there was a very simple solution that cost very little. It was really basically putting all of that information into a dynamic database where then you update one thing in one place and it just permeates every document it needs to, right? Mm-hmm. And you go, wonderful. You know, we're getting rid of all this kind of, you know, heavy lifting that's, that's costing the organization an enormous amount of money. Sounds brilliant. But the problem is, it was like, well, this is fairly obvious, but, you know, the, the powers that be, the reason why, and going back to your research point, they were doing the process the way they were was because the organizational leader, the CEO, was very tech unsavvy. He didn't really like or use anything other than maybe email and kind of Microsoft Word, right? So having all this stuff in a database when they weren't in these individual files that he knew were stored somewhere was very unsettling. So it wasn't so much just researching, but looking at it of now I have to start with an educational process of of actual technical platforms and what they can do and why they shouldn't be scary. So, you know, that entrepreneurship endeavor had to actually start way back in the beginning of just helping educate the CEO on what the possibilities were and how to use basic database technology. Yes. So sometimes it, it starts in odd places. Yeah. And that ends up being a much taller order in some respects, but you need to know that. Right. Right. Well, we've probably shared a lot more stories in this particular podcast than we normally do, but I think the topic is such that I hope for our listeners it made sense and was a way to tell the story of what entrepreneurship really is and gave our listeners some actionable ideas on how they could actually go about being an entrepreneur. As always, we would love to hear from our audience and you can find us at Women in Manufacturing. We are on the Riveting Exchanges podcast. I am Desiree Grace. I thank my co-host, Andrea Olson, for another enjoyable and interesting conversation. Andrea, I always learn a lot when we speak. I hope our listeners did as well. Our next podcast will be on the topic of internal selling, and we look forward to connecting again next month. To all of our listeners out there, thank you and be well until next time. Thank you for joining the WAM podcast, where women empower other women in business and manufacturing. For more shows like this, go to whampodcast.com. That's whampodcast.com. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.